0: All the thought and prayer that goes into the worship service, from the picking of the songs to their rehearsals, they practice at home, they practice here on Wednesdays, they practice Sunday mornings. God. I just thank you for how you prepare us and direct our hearts and minds to God. Amen. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17? Ephesians 4.17. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that's recorded in your Bibles. a letter from the Apostle Paul, who started a lot of the early churches, to Christians living in the ancient city of Ephesus. And it's all about what the church is what the church of jesus christ is to be how we are to live what we are to do and so that's what we've been taking a look at and last week we looked at bible verses that talks about how god imagined us and desired us even before we were conceived in our mother's womb that he's thought about us and like oh yes that's good i want that person in my world and so then he Ahead of time, Ephesians says, in advance, he prepares good things for us to do. And then on other verses will tell us that he forms us. He knits us together. He designs us in our mother's womb so that we are specifically created and designed with abilities to go and fulfill these good things he's prepared for us. So God, he imagines us. He desires us. He designs us and he destines us for a good purpose. And yet, we, we rebel against God's purpose for our lives, don't we? We want to do our own thing. And, um, we're born into a broken world and, and we are, we're broken. And, um, in Ephesians, Paul talks and he kind of describes us living in a zombie apocalypse where humans are the walking dead. That we just roam through each day pursuing our own desires, which can never be satisfied. And as we pursue these desires that cannot be satisfied, we often use and hurt one another in the process. But Christ Jesus awakens us to new life. He sets us free. He died and he paid the penalty for all the harm we have caused. And he restores us to a right relationship with God the Father. And God the Father adopts us as his children. He makes us sons and daughters and gives us this amazing inheritance. Every spiritual blessing, especially the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live and dwell in us, breathing new life into us. And growing things like joy and peace and patience and self-control and kindness in us. The Holy Spirit also fixes our design, our God-given design, those gifts and abilities that God purposed for for us and gave to us the so holy spirit begins fixing those things so we can use those gifts not for our own selfish desires and not to lift ourselves up but to benefit others and last week we looked at first corinthians chapter 12 that says each one every single one has been given a spiritual gift for the common good And if you read Jesus' parable of the talents well, you'll see he teaches that those who use their gifts and abilities that God has given them for the common good, for the glory of God, he gives them even more talents and abilities. So here we are, living in a zombie apocalypse, awakened, gifted, empowered by God. To make a difference in our world, to go out and help set other people free. And Paul warns us in the last chapter of Ephesians that we do not battle against the zombies, right? We don't battle against other people, against flesh and blood, but rather there are spiritual forces of darkness in our world. That are working behind the scenes. That are deceiving and leading people astray. And it's them that we battle. And to do battle with them. We have to do spiritual battle. Right? We don't use human methods of battle. We use spiritual methods of battle. And Paul also makes it clear in Ephesians. That we cannot be victorious in the spiritual battle alone. That's because it's. Truthfully, only Jesus Christ who can awaken zombies and set people free. It's only Jesus Christ who can defeat spiritual forces of darkness. Amen. So, to win, we must be Jesus Christ to the world. And if that sounds absurd, it it is, because you know, I hope you know, that you can't be Jesus Christ. I can't be Jesus Christ. (laughs) There's no way any one of us can do all the things that he did. But this is where those gifts of the Spirit come in. That the Spirit deposits the character of Jesus a little bit in each of us. He deposits little gifts and abilities of Jesus in each one of us. And so while together we can, or individually we can't be Jesus Christ, together we are the body of Christ. We become Jesus with flesh and skin on. Together we are the church. We have been set free, equipped, and empowered to be God's agency to bring healing into the world. We are the body of Christ. At 11.30 today, um, when we start membership, we'll be looking at the Wesleyan Church. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Wesleyan Church actually came out of the abolitionist movement. There were uh, preachers and Christians who were speaking out very forcefully against slavery, c- campaigning to end it. Some of them went to the South and got tarred and feathered because of how they were preaching against slavery. They ki- got kicked out of their own denomination they wouldn't shut up about it and there were some very powerful christians who owned slaves back in those days and so because they got kicked out of their own denomination they formed their own and they became the wesleyan church and the wesleyan church continued um to campaign throughout the end of the civil war and beyond and after that for women's rights and for child labor laws and all of that so our church has a long history of trying to be light in the world and working to set people free. Not because it's politically popular, but because it's what God wants. Because he commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Yet being the body of Christ, Is not just about the good works we do it's not just about the ministries and the campaigns and the things that we're doing It's also about the way that we do it And the way we go about doing it And so that's why in ephesians The first half of the book is like this epic vision. There's the zombie apocalypse and you've been awakened and empowered and together with everybody else, you form the body of Christ. And, you know, and there's this epic vision in the first half of Ephesians. And the second half of Ephesians, he gets down into the nitty gritty and about the way we do this. And we get verses like this. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think this is such an important message today because I see so many leaders trying to bring good into the world and campaign for what is, they think is right and good and doing it in completely toxic ways that tear people down. And what we see in Ephesians is, yes, we have been gifted and we called and we have this great mission, but the way that we go about doing it is very important. And we have to do things the way Christ did things. Anyone who, who claims to be doing good in the name of God and yet is berating other people, is a religious zombie disguised as a Christian. That's not who we're called to be. So let's dive into this. Starting in verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Paul's actually redefining the word Gentile here. Gentile means whoever's not a Jew, right? He's redefining it. And he's putting forth that, look, a Gentile is anyone who lives for their own selfish motives. And that could be a Jew. That could be a religiously pious person. It could be anyone. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life when you were a zombie <laughs> to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Um, A couple weeks ago, Stephen preached on the armor of God and, and the belt of truth, right? And how the belt of truth, it's that first piece of the armor that we put on that allows us to armor up with everything else we need to do. And why is this? It's because the spiritual forces of darkness led by Satan, who is the father of lies. That's what scripture tells us. The enemy deceives. And so we must put, our, put on truth and we must speak truthfully to one another. And let's be honest. Church people can be really good at lying. Church people can be really good at just, like, painting the smile on their face and saying, oh, yeah, we're good. And then going home and laying in bed at night and just crying or fuming. Church people can lie in the opposite way, too, where um, they are very good at pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. And getting so enraged, I just, I'm I'm pointing at Jerry Densmore. And if you know Jerry Densmore, (laughs) it's like, we love you, Jerry. Okay. And just, and being like, oh my, and just get like exaggerating what that person does. And just getting so enraged about what that person does. And all the time minimizing their own wrongdoing. It is not honest and truthful. To exaggerate the wrongdoing of others while we minimize our own. And that's why verse 26 follows verse 25. Verse 25 says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. To speak truthfully to one another in love, which verse 14, we read that last week. We didn't read it today, but chapter 4, verse 14 says that we must speak the truth in love to one another. To speak truthfully in love, we must first get rid of our anger. Know that this is inferring that we will get angry at one another. right? Families, communities, especially tight-knit ones, step on each other's toes. But what do we do when that happens? Do we bury it? Do we exaggerate it? Or do we know how to work through it, speaking the truth in love? Verse 26, you'll note there's probably some quotations in your Bible. In your anger, do not sin. And that's because it's quoting Psalm 4, which is just a short little psalm, eight verses, that teaches us how to work through our anger and frustration with God. So I want to flip over to Psalm 4. You keep your place here in Ephesians because we'll come back to it. I will have Psalm 4 on the screen for us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I preach, I often make these little comments where I kind of drop clues of how to read Scripture. Because um, I don't want you just to listen to me. I want you to read Scripture for yourselves. And, you know, I don't want to give you fish. I want to teach you to fish. So psalms, let me just give you a little information. Psalms are songs. Okay? They're poetry. They're emotive, emotional language. And need to be read read as such. Um, some psalms start out happy and joyous. Some start out sorrowful. Psalm four starts out angry. And so each verse uh, that you read in Psalm doesn't necessarily represent a healthy attitude. But what you'll notice in the psalms is that they always end in this place of trusting God and peace. And so when you read a psalm, you have to read the journey of how do they start at point A and get to point B. The psalms teach us how to process our emotions in a healthy way. Okay? So we're going to look at this psalm and kind of see what is happening to get the writer, the writer of this one is David, from point A to point B. Also, because psalms are songs... You don't get narrative details like he said, God said. You know, you have to kind of read between the lines of what's happening a little bit. You know, we have some worship songs where it's us singing to God. There's some worship songs where it's God singing to us. Some of the worship songs is like one lyric is us to God and then the chorus is God to us or vice versa. You know, that happens in the Psalms too. So you have to kind of read between the lines of, okay, who is speaking Alright? So let's read this together. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And hear my prayer. This is someone who starts by venting to God. God, you've helped me in the past, help me now. The Bible over and over again points us to venting to God and not to one another And that when we vent to one another it's gossip And it's not healthy It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the person that we're gossiping about It's not healthy for the person that we're venting to I remember um Years ago, meeting a woman for coffee, and she told me how um, all her friendships start well but then fizzle. And she was complaining about this and how friends wouldn't call her back or she always had to take an initiative. They never invited her to do anything. She always had to invite them to do things, and she just kind of went on and on and on about this. And then after an hour and a half, she thanked me. And she goes, I know you're a good friend because you just let, listen and let me vent all this stuff. And I got out of the coffee shop. I got to my car and I sat down and I was like, I I felt dirty. Like I needed a shower. Like literally she had just spent an hour and a half vomiting on me. All her frustrations, all her complaints. And I thought, no wonder friends stop calling you back. If that's what you think friendship is for. Venting to one another isn't healthy. The Bible does tell us to seek godly counsel, to go to wise people we trust, we can describe the situation, get feedback. That's different than venting. Vent to God. Because he's the one who's big enough to handle your anger, to handle your frustrations. And he's the only one who can really do anything about it. So the psalmist starts, and you will see this in psalm after psalm after psalm, by venting and crying out to God. Answer me when I call, O God. And then he goes on, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek lies? Selah. Selah means pause. Have you ever, like, gone into your room and had an imaginary conversation with someone you were really upset about and yelled at them and told them all the things that you wish you could really say? Come on, I can't be the only person who's ever done that. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's what this is. He's having a conversation with God, but in the middle of it, he... Takes this detour. He's so upset, he starts yelling at people who aren't even there. Who have obviously been hurting him, right? Turning his honor into shame. Seeking after lies. Maybe they're slandering him. And then he pauses. (sighs) Settles himself down. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him a little self-righteous those people seek after lies I'm righteous, Lord sets apart the righteous Lord will answer me right and then the the person waits for God to answer and God does answer verse 4 be angry and do not sin Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Get the picture of this person lying in their bed at night and crying out to God, having imaginary arguments with people. God answers. Be silent. Be angry. Yes, they've done wrong. Yeah, they've done wrong. But you can't control them. You can only control how you respond to them. So be angry, but do not sin. Ponder in your own heart. Be silent. So often God has to calm us down and be silent before we can really hear what he needs to tell us. And so the writer takes a deep breath, ponders that, quiets himself. And then the word of the Lord comes to him again. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is interesting because it's not exactly what he was asking, was it? Uh, James 1, 5 through 8. I quote that verse all the time because I use it all the time in my own life. But it says, whenever we lack wisdom, whenever we have a problem we can't solve, we can ask God and he graciously gives wisdom to everyone without finding fault in them. But when he answers us, we must believe and not doubt his answer. And so I can just imagine David lying in his bed. He's been crying about out and angry about all these people who are turning his honor into shame, probably slandering and lying about him. And he's asking, how long are they going to get away with doing this? And God quiets him, and then this comes to him. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This random thought that pops into his head. And he has to decide, is that from God? I often um, will ask God to quiet all my distracting thoughts, including my own, so that I can hear from him. And then I just have to trust that he's powerful enough to actually do that, and that he wants to speak to me. And so whatever that next thought is, I just have to believe and not doubt it's from him. And the psalmist here believes and he does not doubt that this is from the Lord. The Lord didn't tell him the future. The Lord didn't reveal his plan for justice and how he was going to get back at these people or anything like that. But this is what the Lord told him. And so in the next two verses, he offers the right sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And in the last verse, he puts his trust in the Lord. Verse 6 There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have their grain and wine abound. When they are partying, God, you have still given me more joy. That's an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. The next verse. In peace... I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's trust. He's choosing to trust the Lord. And you see this journey from where he started on his bed, crying out to the Lord and yelling at people who weren't in the room, to quieting himself, listening, believing, not doubting that God spoke to him. Offering up some thanksgiving and deciding to trust. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That's a good one to have in your back pocket when you're laying in bed at night. Struggling to sleep. Some of you struggle with anger towards others. Maybe it's your spouse or kids or a former boss or something. But you kind of have this ongoing struggle with anger And it may be because you've never come to grips with the fact the person you're really angry at is God. Because God is the one who has allowed all the bad things to happen to you. God is also the one who has allowed all the good things to happen to you. And maybe you grew up knowing that you need to give thanks for all the good things and all the blessings, but no one ever told you you need to wrestle with God about how he's allowed the bad things. That's right. Amen. In Scripture, all the great heroes of the faith, they wrestle with God. They doubt, they question, they get impatient, they cry out. Some of them argue and debate. You can read that in some of the books of the prophets jacob got into a literal physical wrestling match with god and god does not condemn them for this i think rather god appreciates that instead of just walking and distancing ourselves from him we engage with him and try to have a real relationship with him and he is our father he wants a real relationship with us and so god does wrestle with us He is big enough to handle our anger and our frustrations and he is the one that helps us work through them and brings us to a place of trust and hope. But if you can't be honest and speak truthfully with God about what's going on inside of you and how you're frustrated and upset or you don't understand why he allows some things and not others If if you can't be honest and truthful with God, you will never be able to speak truthfully with one another. And that's why I think churches are full of people who paint happy faces on. And yet inside they're burying frustration and disappointment. Because they've never learned how to speak truthfully with God. And wrestle with God through what's really going on in their lives. If you can't speak truthfully with God, you'll never be able to speak truthfully with one another. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. As Ephesians tells us. Don't let the devil get a foothold. Call out to God. Rustle through it with him. And then after you've processed your anger with God, then you can speak the truth in love to one another and have a helpful conversation. Uh, Where am I? I totally lost minutes. Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's very important that we do speak truthfully, that we don't avoid the important conversations that we need to have. But we have to do them in a way that builds up relationships and not tears them down. That's why any good counselor um, will tell you that when... You have a problem you need to work through with someone, like a family member or whoever. You use the formula, when you did this, I felt this. Right? I don't know if you've ever heard that before. When you did such and such, I felt this way. You don't say, you made me feel. Own responsibility for your own emotions. Don't give someone power to make you feel a certain way, right? We have a choice of how we respond. But people also need to know that when they do certain things, this is how people respond to it. So, some examples. Um, So, like, when you went ahead and did that without consulting me, it made me feel unimportant. Unimportant. Or no, sorry, I felt unimportant, right? That's how you should say it. That's a lot better than saying, um, you don't care about anyone's opinion except for yourself. (laughs) Um, Another one. When you spent that money, I felt insecure. Because our car is old and it's going to break down soon. I just know it and I thought we were saving this money for when our car breaks down, but now we don't have that money and so... I'm freaking out. That is more helpful than your stupid spending is ruining our family. We need to have these conversations, but have them in ways that are healthy. So we process our anger and our frustration with God first. And then we can go and speak to one another in ways that build up the relationship instead of tear it down just going to read through five verse two starting in 29 again do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the spirit of god with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness rage and anger along with every form of malice Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ is our model. Christ is our model for how to heal the brokenness and darkness in our own lives, and our families, and in our communities. And we don't follow the ways of the world and how they try. Everybody knows this world is broken. That's not a secret. And everybody has their own solution to it. We are called to be light in the darkness. But we don't go about being light the way people of the world who do not know Christ try to be light. We do it as Christ Jesus did. We must, and I encourage you to get rid of your frustrations. Oh my goodness, the last few years, has anybody felt a rise in frustrations? Get rid of your frustrations. Take them to God, the one who can handle it. And be an imitator of Christ Jesus so that we can be the light to the world that God has saved us to be. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it continually provides course corrections in my life. Sometimes I'm going in the completely wrong direction. Sometimes I'm going, I think, in the right direction, but I'm trying to get there the wrong way. God, I thank you that you imagined us and desired us and designed us And destined us for a good purpose and to be light in this world. Teach us how to be light like Jesus Christ is light. God, it it just feels like our world is on pins and needles these days. There's so much tension. Help us to rest in you and quiet ourselves before you. God, right now we offer you a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, for all the good things in our lives. For there are far more good than bad. The sun that shines, the breeze that blows, The food you provide. God, we thank you for all your good blessings. And we put our trust in you and our hope in you, Lord. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: Just stand and join us. That search committee is uh, Glenn Thompson, uh, Linda Omar, uh, Omer, Omar, <laughs> Omer, <laughs> Omer, uh, <laughs> Molly Riddle, uh, Ruben Rubio, uh, Michelle Kepin, and Rachel Smith, and myself. Um, as a search committee, uh we've uh met a lot of times and we've reviewed a lot of interview uh resumes, did a lot of interviews uh with search with the search. Uh we've met with the GLR and had some training and worked with them, uh that with their guidance and everything. Uh we had a lot of hours. We met with Zoom, in person meetings here at the church. We've um, had a lot of discussions. We've had a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment. And through that process, God has guided us through a long journey. But we're here today to inform you that the search committee has made a selection and we forwarded that selection to the local board of administration. And we are united in that decision. We were uh, no doubts in the committee whatsoever. We're united in that decision. And we are very proud of our decision. And we know that God has put that person before us to give you that person that we selected. So I'd like to let uh, that process continue, which is now handed over to the local board of administration.
0: So, I'd like to
2: give a hand to the members of the search committee. Go ahead, I see people starting to clap. So, and, and you guys can go ahead and be seated. They spent countless hours, and you know, in the spirit of what Pastor Tamara spoke about, my grandchildren love to torture me with an earworm song that's those pink, fluffy unicorns dancing on rainbows. Um, The process for the search committee and for the LBA was not pink fluffy unicorns dancing on rainbows And I love what she said in her sermon that when you're a close-knit community Sometimes you're going to step on one another's toes and the truth is Sometimes we did and yet the Lord kept them united kept them working together So that they came to unanimous decision that they passed on to the LBA So the LBA met this week on Wednesday. Uh, We did an interview with a pastoral couple that uh, they had recommended to us and the LBA also had a unanimous decision. And so the the couple that is going to be set forward, and I want to make sure I stick to my notes here, Um, the GLR has already approved this candidating couple and the LBA has also approved that unanimously. So we want to recommend to you as the local conference, church conference, LCC is the lingo, the couple Pastor Tamar and Eric Eisenman. Amen. I see a lot of tears and I feel the same way. Um, I want to read to you from the, the letter of recommendation that was passed from the search committee to the LBA. Uh, after many months of prayer, examination of pastoral candidate materials, discussions, interviews, and feedback, we feel that the Lord has led us to recommend to you our current interim pastor, Tamar Eisenman, as the final candidate for our open senior pastor position. We are unanimous and unified in agreement on this recommendation. We have discussed our reasons for reaching this recommendation, and they may be summarized as follows. First bullet point, a strong sense that the Lord has led us to this decision, which we have all felt either uh, with an impression of his direction through prayer, a sense that many doors of circumstance have opened in a God-ordained way, or both. That she is fully qualified for the position via the requirements established by the LBA. That she has expressed to us that she senses God's calling to be our pastor. That she possesses the pastoral experience that we believe is important to God, our church well. That by our estimation and numerous feedback from members of our congregation, she has served well as an interim pastor and shown herself deserving of an opportunity to become the senior pastor. The following areas are ones where she has been particularly notable, preaching, leadership and vision, congregational care, fit, both she alone and together with her family, intuition and discernment. By virtue of living within our church's service area and having become familiar with our ministries, she's able to get started now to enact the Lord's vision for us, rather than having us all wait for several more months for another candidate to settle in the area and get to know us before earnestly beginning to minister. And there's more in that letter, but that's what I really wanted to share with you. Um, so basically, John shared with you what has been. I'm sharing with you what is currently And in a minute, Dan's going to share with you what is yet to come. Um, So today we are announcing what is, and we have a two-week window according to the discipline, which is kind of the rules and regulations for the Wesleyan Church. We have a two-week window that needs to be open for notification to go out to all the members of our congregation as well as all of our regular attenders, and um, everybody is going to be invited for October 16th. Pastor tomorrow will preach, and then after the service, there will be a vote, and um, that will be a vote of all members as well as regular attenders. And then we will tally that vote while everybody's in the, villi- uh, the building, and then we'll announce the percentage of vote. And that will recommend her as our pastor. That will also go to the Great Lakes District. And I believe that's a two-year call, if I'm not misunderstanding that. I think that's a two-year call, but I can clar- somebody can clarify that before we get to that date. Um, so you can vote in person on the 16th. You can also vote, if you can't make it that day, by absentee ballot. And um, there's a very particular way of doing absentee ballots, but I'm going to let Dan explain that further. So.
3: All right. So in this letter that uh, you're going to get, uh, there's an envelope that, other, or that has your name on it or um, uh, you will receive before you leave today. And, uh, John, I under- understand you have some of those envelopes yeah. with you okay we 're going to ask for some help in making sure those get passed out everyone's here everyone who's here uh, again anything we can do to reduce our cost and not have to mail it uh, plus it 's a lot faster if you carry it home with you. Uh, so the absentee ballots can be requested by anyone who is in sixth grade or above. Those are the individuals that have the opportunity to make uh, to have their voice be heard in the election. Kathleen did describe that there are two types of ballots, one for members, one for non-members. And one has to be reported to the Great Lakes region. Obviously, if you had 85 votes of, of uh, members, they'd say, what's going on, you only have 45 or whatever the number is that's out there. So you have to make sure you to match up with that. Uh, but that number is very important for those that may not be member because part of what we're trying to communicate to our pastoral couple is the sense of support that each of us have for Pastor Tamar and uh, her family. So on this vote, you're going to see the words that say, I support the recommendation of the LBA of calling Pastor Tamar Eisenman as the lead pastor of Caring Community Church in favor of vote yes, in, fi- in not in favor of vote no. Very simple. But we will make that election on the 16th, two weeks from today, and that happens immediately after church. Uh, Pastor Tamar, Eric, and and their family will be down the hall, Um, and then once the votes have been tabulated, uh, the LBA is charged with with recording those votes, we will go and we'll have discussions with them, and we'll look forward to coming back and and sharing with all of you. So it's a very exciting time in the life of our church, and there's a couple other things that I want to make sure you're aware of as well. Some of these things that we deal with are not things we've dealt with before. We've never had, uh, and none of you have participated in it. None of the LBA has participated in this. So we ask for a little bit of grace as we go through it. If we've by chance made a oversight, it's not intentional. We've tried to follow some very specific instructions that we were given by the Great Lakes region, and we think we have. Um, But if people have questions, any of the LBAs up here can, can answer them or get you an answer. Um, so the letters uh, going on uh, today and those that aren't handed out today will be mailed uh, tomorrow. The, um, the vote is on the 16th. We talked about that. On the 15th, it's a Saturday, Saturday the 15th of October from 9 a.m. to 1130 a.m. If you could mark your calendars, we're going to have a meet and greet here with Pastor Tamar, Eric, and their family. Uh Mikkel and Titus will be here as well. We're going to have cider and donuts, and it gives you the opportunity to spend some time with them. Uh, I know in many cases uh, you've been able to spend some time with them, but we just think it would be a good idea in, in a more relaxed uh, setting. Um, and so we're going to carve out that time for from 9 to 1130. Also, you are all hearing about this for the first time today. You also know people that are not here today. And it would be a great thing for you to be reaching out to those individuals. Share the good news. Tell them what's going on. Yes, they're going to get a letter, but it'd be great if they heard it from each of you. This is a significant moment in the history of Caring Community Church. We're really excited about it. I think a round of applause for the search committee is in order again, because I think they did a fabulous job. And as part of this, we now would like to turn the microphone over to Pastor Tamar, who's going to uh, make some comments, and then I will uh, have it back to uh, pray and dismiss us.
0: Am I on? You guys made me cry. Um, At first, I just wanted to explain how I went from not being a candidate to a candidate, because I know I stood before you all and told you I am not a candidate. And um, I was sincere when I said that, um, but obviously some things have changed. And so um, I just have to confess from the get-go, I didn't think it was a possibility. I didn't seriously consider it for two reasons. One were, were my children. Um, we moved from Mason a couple years ago. That move from Mason to Spring Arbor was very difficult for them um, they did not adjust well to the first school district they were in so then we moved them to a different school district so they had been in three different school districts in four years and i assumed albion had a school district um, and that you would want your next senior pastor to live in albion and their children to go to your school district and that would be four school districts in five years for my kid and i just thought no that's too much. And um, so that was one reason I just thought it wasn't a possibility. The other reason had to do with my husband and his job. He was working a very stressful job, very long hours, coming home exhausted. And we know between the two of us, we can only work so many hours. You know, if one of us is exhausted, the other one has to have more energy for home or vice versa and whatever. And um, being your senior pastor, lead pastor is a big responsibility it's a wonderful responsibility but it is a big responsibility and i just thought with this amount of stress that he is carrying right now i i shouldn't try to bring that much more added responsibility and work hours into our family um he was also i don't know if you know this my husband is an ordained wrestling pastor as well And his primary ministry has been in worship. And so he was interviewing for a worship position at another church in Jackson. And so that was another reason I thought it just isn't a possibility. Well, he didn't get that job. God has given him a different job that has been a huge blessing to our family, um, a much more family-friendly work schedule. And and so that kind of freed me up to feel like, okay, I can take on some more things. So those two were things that just from the get-go I ruled it out. And that's what I was thinking about when I stood up here and I said, I'm not a candidate. (laughs) And God changed those things. But that wasn't all he changed. He also just began to open my heart more and more to you guys and this community. And as um, I was here and in the community, there were different times that I just thought, oh, Lord, this is so much Like our church plant in Mason. And I know how to minister to these people. And there were so many times I was with you. And sometimes it was one-on-one appointments and conversations. And there were times I prayed with different ones of you. But I just more and more felt God saying, you are meant to be a part of this body and shepherd these people. And so I think it was about July-ish. Yeah, that I notified the search committee, and then it's the process. There's the GLR is the Great Lakes Region of the Wesleyan Church that we belong to, and so they kind of oversee these processes, and they have lots of steps that they require be gone through. And so we've been in that process since then. But I want to thank you uh, for your support and encouragement, and um, just how much you have welcomed me and my whole family. It's meant a lot. So thank you.
3: As I uh, close in prayer, I would just ask that uh, those on the search committee, those on the local board of administration would uh, go back and look and see Nancy there with this big file of envelopes, and she's going to need some help in passing those out. So um, I'll close in prayer, but if we could make our way back there quickly to help out in that process, that would be great, okay? Father in heaven, it's been an exciting day, and we're so thrilled that you've brought us to this point. Father, I thank you for being with us and guiding us throughout this journey we've been on. When we learned in February of 21 that Pastor Steve was going to give his one-year notice prior to retirement, we knew the day would be coming in which we would be having our next pastor, our next lead pastor, be with us. And Father, I'm just so thankful that you've brought uh, Pastor Tamar and Eric into our lives that uh, they have played the role that they played throughout the summer, and that you opened hearts and you opened doors and you opened uh, the right doors and closed the right doors, Father. We're very excited about the future of Caring Community Church. We're very excited for what can be done with you, through you, for you, in every way um, Caring Community Church can uh, have that role. And so, Father, as we close today, um, let this excitement that we have in our hearts take us throughout. Help us to te- talk to others about it. And we look forward to this time period in two weeks in which we'll be voting. Father, again, I am thankful for uh, this process. I'm thankful for all those who have been involved in it, the countless hours, the dedicated thoughts, and dedicated prayer time. And just uh, ask for your guidance And wisdom as we go forward. And these things we pray in your name. Amen.